Welcome back for another helping of oysters, clams, and corpsicles presented by Bolin Media. I am Ross Bolin here with Barrett Dudley to discuss part three of True Detective Night Country. Barrett, ask the question. Uh, but is it the, will it be the right question? That's that's the thing. That's why I'm I'm gonna stand my ground and uh, not play your, not play your stupid game. Wow. Yeah. Bold yeah. choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like the uh, oysters, clams, and corpsicles play on words? I do like oysters, clams, and corpsicles. That was from a listener. I know. I know. Not out of my brain. No, I saw that on the Instagram comments. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's very good. I like that quite a bit. Yeah. So I'm come up with that on my own. Yeah. At least we've got something going for us. That's here huge on this uh, on this here podcast. Absolutely huge. Yeah. Up top, I'd like to remind everyone that our show is available not only on the major podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but also in full video on youtube.com slash at oysters clams cockles shout out to everyone who is subscribed on youtube already and if you're watching today's show on youtube and haven't subscribed please slap that subscribe button and be sure to leave a comment question take or theory in the comments section as we'd love to hear from you youtube.com slash at oysters clams cockles now barrett are you ready to dive into part three of true detective night country yes let's do it Part three cold opens with a flashback of Navarro attempting to arrest Annie Kay for trespassing and the destruction of private property at the Silver Sky mining facilities. But guess what, Barrett? Great news. <laughs> Annie Kay is in the middle of delivering a baby at the last birthing center in the region because it turns out she's a doula. Yeah. yeah. Annie Kay. Doing the doula. Yeah. Yes. Um, somewhere along the line. I, I don't know. I guess near, or somewhere in the you know in the pandemic era, I would say. Yeah. Um, there was a dividing line, and the uh, the powers that be at HBO they said, enough with our previous signature, which was gratuitous violence and boobies in all of our shows. Gratuitous sex. Yeah. Enough with that. Enough with that. Yeah. We need a new signature for a new era. Indeed. And they did, and they they came up with something revelatory. Um, and it's that all of their shows now must include an excruciating uh, uh, birthing scene. They they have it's they it's, gotta have it. It's a, there's a quota. It's a quota. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. and a new think, signature. I think you're exactly right. They were like, look, we've done sex. <laughs> we did it for decades. But what does the sex lead to? What comes what after? What comes after the sex? And it's the it's birth. It's birth. Yeah. But. But only and traumatic many, birth. Many times it is. It 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 turns out to be birth. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so naturally, uh, Navarro, who is simply a police officer who has arrived to arrest Annie Kay, she ends up helping with the delivery by yeah. bringing hot water, and the baby comes out, and you're like, oh, this wasn't so bad after all. But then, no, it isn't breathing, and it appears it may be a stillborn. Fortunately, it is revived by the other doulas and all as well. But this was a very stressful start, is my point, Barrett. Yeah, this was, yeah. I was just like, oh, God, we're in for a ride tonight. And, uh, and yeah, but HBO is, is one step closer to hitting their quota for 2024 <laughs> with their first show of the year. Yeah, this, this has me nervous about, you know, I asked you a few weeks ago, I think on a Patreon episode maybe, uh, if you thought that uh, season two of House of the Dragon would would continue the motif, the theme of the uh, the womb being the woman's battlefield, mm -hmm. and we decided that no, surely they could not they could not keep the same theme for season two as they as they uh, they had for season one. They might, they might, they might, they really might, they really might. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's also becoming more clear why Navarro was upset that they never closed the Annie K case because 
like she was very familiar with who this woman was as a person. Yeah. It wasn't like the only time she had ever heard Annie Kay's name right. was once she was dead. Yep. Like she had spent time with her. They had some kind of a relationship. And uh, yeah, just gave us a little background there on top of scaring the living shit out of all of us. Um, so then fast forward to December 22nd, where we start out in the present this episode, the fifth day of night. Where I like that it's giving us that. Like, this is how many days it's been brutally dark mm-hmm, outside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Hank Pryor has assembled all of his hillbilly buddies who, despite being in Alaska, have an affinity for Dixie. That one guy pulls up with his truck and it's like... I was like, what the fuck? I just don't... Like, yeah, okay, Dixie, right, yeah. the South, how they, how they connected those dots in their heads is beyond me, but they were saying something there. Yeah, okay. Um, why did everybody have an orange? Why, why, were, why were people just carrying bags of oranges? What's the showrunner's name? Issa Lopez? Yeah. So she, on tw- I'm following her on Twitter, uh-huh. and she'll, st- she'll say some stuff after yeah. each episode, and okay. she said, like, more on oranges later. Mm. So I, <laughs> I, I really don't know. It's a, uh, it's a citrus fruit. Don Corleone was killed while carrying oranges in The Godfather. Spoiler alert. Mm. For anybody who hasn't seen The Godfather, I don't think that has anything to do with it. But yeah, apparently they're going to tie oranges in somehow. The okay. citrus. Sky, <laughs> I, I, I have no clue. Um, but yeah, so these hillbillies, they're out there. They're going to help with with the search for Raymond Clark, yeah. the missing scientist. And Hank gives this like rousing speech to the hillbillies. And, and it's so rousing that Navarro feels she needs to remind him like, hey, uh, we're not like hunting this guy. to kill. We need this dude alive. Yeah. You gotta, we gotta bring him back alive. And Hank's like, "Do we?" And then we cut to the Billie Eilish intro sequence. Now I'll say this: I haven't paid that much attention to this intro sequence in terms of like trying to decipher, like, all right, what else, what all is it showing us? What have we seen in here already? What what might be coming? Um, so I'm just gonna ask you a question to frame up something for later in the episode. Okay. What is the last thing you see in the intro sequence? Do you know? You don't have to know. I don't know. Just off the top. Okay. Just hold on to that thought. Is it a sh- it's a street. Is no. It, well, is it a, no. It's a highway. We'll it's come, a dark, Barrett, we'll come a dark back. Highway. We'll come back. We'll come back to we it. We drive on the highway with the dark passenger. No, but De- <laughs> Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, it actually, it's something that I, okay. I it caught my eye right. at the end of this right. intro sequence in this episode, and then it comes up later in the episode. <clears throat> so when we get to it, I'll... I'll bring us back to okay. this moment. Um, uh, so th- there were there were a couple moments here in this opening sequence that just kind of like they they just they I had small bumps on them. They just like they they flagged in my head, and I was like, hmm, and I did a little hmm, and that was that that was. And I'm just I'm I'm saying this now because I'm setting the the conversation up that I that I don't know something just felt off again about this episode as a whole. Um, and we'll, we'll get into the why as, as we go through the story, but there are, there are pieces of it that feel, man, it just like not natural. And I I thought that Navarro like bumping into Hank, she's like, she has not been officially called back in by Danvers yet. Right. She's a trooper, but she's just out there. She's just out there though. Like not doing her job, and then she's just like she kind of is having like these awkward like bump ins, like run ins, like with with Hank. I don't know. They just didn't feel they they felt very forced in like a writerly way. Okay. Like oh, I need we need Navarro, we need somebody to tell 
Hank, that, you know, to like watch out for these hillbillies, and like it makes sense that it's Navarro, so we're gonna put Navarro out there, even though like it doesn't really make you mean sense not, for Navarro. Why like, was she out there? Yeah, yeah. Why was she out there? And then why would she like 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 the idea that she would be confrontational in that situation where she's not even like like really supposed to be then is also strange to me. Just the, the, the that the, part of it, I think she doesn't like him. Right. Well, yeah. I, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But but I don't know. They're just they, like. I, in a very small way, it just didn't totally like ring true for me, uh, and I and felt a little forced. Yes, and and that kind of came up a couple more times throughout this episode, and so I'll I'll let you know when I felt that. But um, but yeah, let's continue. Okay, uh, so after the intro sequence, we're with Danvers, who is at the station where she's being informed by Peter Pryor that scientist Lund is still in a coma, and they had to amputate both his legs. And he still might lose his forearms. And we're going to spend a lot of time with good old Lund later in this episode. But it is clearly confirmed for us here early that he did indeed survive yep. being frozen in a corpsicle somehow. Now, still absolutely zero explanation about how, yeah. which that part I'm still bumping on. Yep. To, to, just to be uh, upfront, I didn't. there weren't moments in this episode that I felt were forced. I have had that feeling in the first two parts of Night Country. At different points, this one not so much. I'm just, I, I'm just focused on how this dude survived. That's my main qualm with this show at this point. I need that explained at some point. Okay. Um, but Danvers is putting in a request to transfer Navarro temporarily to her unit so they can start working this case together officially, I guess. And they've got 19 boxes of Raymond Clark's stuff and evidence to be sorted through from his trailer and whatnot. And Danvers asks uh, Peter to crack Annie Kay's cell phone that they found in Clark's trailer because he is young, so he should be able to figure out technology, obviously, Barrett. Everyone in Gen Z is a hacker in the eyes of Gen X and the boomers. That's right. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I get it a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, but if you told me, like, hey, here's the cell phone, you've got to figure out how to crack the password, I would be completely lost in the dark like what am i Wait, gonna you're, do you're, you're under 30 you don't you, you've got hacker friends don't you ross go to the you don't internet have hacker friends the internet forums also i'm not under 30 how old that's do you right. think that's you and true. i are that's true what year we do are. you think it is right now <laughs> uh this weekend um uh-huh. laura was looking at something on 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 uh on on instagram and i i want i like i said you know i was going to tell her to send that to me yeah and so i i told her oh uh s- send that to me send it to me on my instagrams Wow. And it was, yeah. I think it was the oldest thing I've ever said in my entire life. You just feel yourself aging. No, no irony. Send it to me on my Instagrams. Oh, man. Yeah. Send Boomer it to Barrett. Me. Yeah, Boomer Barrett. Just really, yeah. <laughs> Gets stronger every year. Okay, so Peter, Peter keeps trying to get Danvers to explain what happened between her and Navarro during their last case. And Danvers finally caves here. She tells him, like, one bedtime story. And it was the Wheeler case that was their last case. It was a murder-suicide revolving around... Yeah, not the Annie Kay case. Yeah, yeah, it was not. As you may have have thunk. Yeah, may have assumed that. Um, But it was this serial criminal, William Wheeler, who took up with an 18-year-old girl, started abusing the hell out of her, but she wouldn't report him. And eventually, Danvers and Navarro got called out to their place. They find the girl dead. And according to her story, the one she's telling Peter, Wheeler is also dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. But as we see in the flashback we are provided with, when they arrive, Wheeler is still very much alive, and yeah. not only is he alive, he's, of course, whistling Twist and Shout, the song. And oh, is that, that the... Yeah. Okay. You gotta get subbies on for that one. All right. So the old subtitles. 
parentheses, whistling, twist, and shout, in parentheses. Um, yeah, I, didn't, I didn't pick up the tune there. Yeah, and Danvers repeats, they were both dead when we got there, repeats the lie to Peter and says uh, that Navarro couldn't get over it and that she blamed Danvers for the result of that case, and then she got transferred over to Trooper's end of story. So clearly Danvers still lying here, withholding information, and you have to assume we'll get the real end of the story at some point in the back half of this season. But uh, we'll have to wait for that. But yes, very clearly, uh, I, I mean, you know, I, I think the implication there is that Danvers killed this man. Uh, I think Navarro killed him. And you, and, and, and it's kind of, right, it might, we don't actually know. That That's a good... I could go. You could talk me into either way there. Yeah. Here's my my pitch: is that Navarro snaps, murders this dude, and then Danvers and the whole separating from Navarro thing. Which so far through three parts, you're kind of like, well, Danvers seems like a prick, and she probably mm-hmm. screwed up the relationship. Right. I think Navarro snapping and killing this guy is probably what screwed up the relationship, and Danvers been covering her ass covering ever her. since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That so, makes a lot. That makes uh, you know. That I mean? makes a lot of sense too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, next, we're with Navarro out on the ice looking for Raymond Clark. So now we at least have a reason for her to be out there. She's like officially working with Danvers for Danvers. I do agree with you that at the beginning of the episode when she's out there just kind of going at um, whatever his name is, it's a little we- weird because you're just like, does she have the authority even to tell this dude what to do or tell him how to do it? And it's just kind of a bizarre scene. But now she's out there uh, officially on the ice looking for Raymond Clark. No fucking clue what time of day it is, really at any point in this episode, but it is pitch black out on the ice, and Navarro chunks an orange into the dark, and the orange comes back to her, and she hears something whisper, help us. So she's getting picking up a lot. And I'll just say this up front, too. Here's another listener-provided theory. Navarro has a sister who's experiencing mental health issues, uh, episodes hallucinations at different times. Navarro has already hallucinated once in this season, seeing this one-eyed polar bear. And it has been repeatedly referenced that Navarro's mother also had mental health issues, which actually will come up in a bit here. There is a, one of the theories that a listener provided me with is that Navarro herself is in fact experiencing delusions and some level of mental health disconnection from reality which would track genetics wise, right? Mm -hmm. And she's just maybe not realizing it. So that's just something to kind of, toy with yeah. in your mind so this is uh again one of i believe two times maybe three in this episode it felt like anyway that we see navarro just like out there walking on the tundra yeah uh, by herself seems seems like a terrible idea i don't know what what is she doing what is she doing i really don't like one of the things that made sense about uh what is what is the dude's name who was giving the speech at the beginning of the episode hank, hank very clearly tells his men, like, you stay in groups, you maintain radio contact at all times. Yeah. Like, there's a very clear set, you know, here's some, here's how we stay safe out here right. in the pitch in black the pitch on black the ice. Tundra, and then she's on the like, ice. Yeah. 10-4, and then she's just out there by her fucking self, and it seems incredible. Because, like, one of the things that came to mind for me was, if you turn one way or the other, how do you know which direction you came from I would, no, without, yes, like, a exactly. compass or something? No, yes. Like, you, it, that, more than anything, it just seems like you're going to get lost out there. It's wildly disorienting. So, yeah. Um, then she gets called, Navarro does, to Danvers' office, and they start going through all of Clark's boxes. We get this nice little investigatory montage of Danvers and Navarro doing just good old-fashioned police work, Barrett. And what they're doing, you see is they're organizing and analyzing the evidence in an effort to crack the case. And so, really, that just means uh, putting a bunch of photos in in 
a grid surrounding themselves with with photos that they have from this dude's trailer. So based on one photo of Annie Kay wearing an Ariana Grande album shirt that came out in May of 2016, mm. Danvers establishes that Annie Kay and Raymond Clark have been together for quite some time. That's the thing about Danvers. She's a pop culture head, too, you know? Right. What you the know? fuck was that? Like, that was that was a little weird. Just be, okay, so she's like, fucking great memory on this chick. She's just an, she loves Ari, you know? Like, thank, thank you next, right? Just, like, she, <laughs> just a huge Ariana Grande fan, yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, she's really, she's still riding for her, I hear, you know, even though she broke up that one weird cat's marriage, and, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, she doesn't care, doesn't no, care. Still a big Ari fan. Still a big Ari fan. She actually kind of vibes with that, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's, it's, kind, it's her MO. Kindred spirits a little bit, uh -huh. so not that surprising that she just, she like looks down, she's like, oh, that's, uh, that's the May 2016 album. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, these are all Clark's photographs they're going through, and Clark and Annie Kay were together long enough for like her blue tip hair to fade, and I, they're they're just trying to establish for us, I guess, that this relationship went on for a long time. Yeah. yeah. And Danvers wants to know why this hot, fun girl was with this total weirdo. Ask the question, Barrett. Uh, what's the question? Navarro says, "Why keep it a secret?" Oh, right. Yes. Which yes, is yes. one of the things we're trying to decipher here, right? So then Danvers asks Navarro. If she's still fucking that dog runner, bootleg guy, Kavik, quote, or are you back with girls? Uh -huh. And Navarro says, are you still fucking anything that can't run fast <laughs> enough? And then makes kind of the, she kind of makes the assumption that, that she, that Danvers is probably chasing Peter. Uh-huh. Right? She's banging old Pete. Which Pete, also comes Pete. up from Hank later in the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And based on, I guess it, in those moments, I was like, I kind of put together their past scenes, and I was like, maybe she has kind of been, like, not grooming him, but, like, kind of, you know, working her way towards the possibility of banging. Oh, no, I don't think so. No? No, no, no You don't no. think Danvers wants to smash old Pete? I don't think so. Okay, yeah. well. Uh, regardless, this, this, this little reference here to Navarro being back with girls... Also made and this and there's a couple other moments uh -huh. in the episode, but it made me think that Danvers and Navarro also may have had a sexual relationship. Yeah, I, I that and I got that a little bit of that vibe, which right? I, I kind of alluded to a little bit, but maybe didn't explicitly say um, when she's like unpacking the cans in Navarro's house. Yes, last episode. Yes, yeah. I think like when that, you piece those moments together at this point, you should be on the train of like, oh, they also got they, romantic. They could have. They could. Yeah. They yeah. could have had a little dalliance themselves, I think. Right, or at yeah. least as romantic as Danvers is capable of, right. which, which we don't know that that's a very high level of romance. Um, so they get back to the case at hand, and Danvers notices that almost all of these photos that they've surrounded themselves with are either selfied or on a timer, which that moment bumped for me, because I was like, how could you fucking tell? She recognizes this one photo as candid and says, like, someone was with them that day. And I'm like, how can you tell the difference between a photo on a timer and a candid photo. How do you know they didn't set that up on burst and then right, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like that's a good point. That's it was just point. a little weird that she was so confident, like, ooh, this one was taken by another person that was a third party. Mm -hmm. But then they find more photos to like back this theory up. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, I was just a little weirded out there. But then they use a photo that for one reason or another, like has her electric blue hair dye on the picture. I, I, which I, like, what the fuck? Was she with did I she could have not. The Ross, photo with her? I could not make heads or tails of this. Like, why Why would the 
hair dye. Anyway, I could not. I couldn't figure it out. I so had the same question. This had to feel like a forced moment for you then, because I was like, okay, why would she? Ha- what was she looking through her photo album while she was at the hair place getting her hair did? And some of the electric blue. Hair- How would it transfer? No, to it's the- it's supposed to indicate who took the photos. But what? But why so- would the hair lady? I know. That's what I'm saying. None of it. That didn't make sense. How to did me. the blue hair dye? Which would be in the home of the hair dye lady, end up on this photograph. End up on the photograph, and thereby indicate that she was the one t- that took the photograph. Yeah, because Navarro's like, oh, "We're not going to need fingerprints. I know exactly who does the electric blue hair dye in this town." And like when they walk into that lady's house, she immediately goes over to like the different uh-huh. colors right. and picks out the electric blue. Yeah, like she's done this a hundred times. It right. was it was bizarre. Yeah, but 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 like yeah, this so. I didn't understand if the implication was that, like, she's doing so much electric blue hair dye that it's constantly on her hands. No, it still doesn't make sense. No, because it's it a big stripe of you, it, man. You, you have to—it it was supposed to put her at the scene of taking the photographs. Yeah, that's why— Not I, handling the photograph. It, may, it doesn't—yeah, it doesn't compute for me. Maybe somebody in the audience knows. If you have an explanation for this, for the love of God, get on Patreon. I, okay. Get in the Mollus Militia tier and call into the I hotline. I guess because she— she maybe took the photograph. Maybe it was her own camera, and then she was getting the film, and she was going through the photos to give them to Annie Kay. But like, I had also just done it, or was doing her. And like yeah. was doing her hair, and so I, it it was a jump, man. That was it was a stretch. A I, and Big and the, stretch. the fact that we have to sit here and think about it like that is 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 not great. That's not a. It's not a good like clue if we're like, wait, what? I always. What now? I always leave room for the possibility that we're idiots. That we're just not, not like, we're just not yeah, getting something. Not getting something. But in this case, like in this very particular case, I was like, that was sort of bullshit. Yeah. That they just like, oh, blue hair dye, bam. Like, must be this other. It was just bizarre. Um, this woman's name is Susan, the electric blue hair dye lady. Okay. And Susan admits that she knew Annie. And we established that Danvers is actually quite good with small children because her daughter is very upset that the police are in her house and she's like, let's go make some fucking mac and cheese. And Susan ends up being with Navarro alone and shares with her the fact that she used to also give haircuts to the men at Salal Station. So here's one one possibility for this conundrum you and I just uncovered. Everybody in this fucking town is familiar with each other, uh-huh. knows each other. She, this is the haircut lady. She's the one that does everybody's hair. So if you could surmise... Well, that looks like hair dye, because she's had blue hair in these other photos. Let's go to the haircut lady's place. Yeah, and I get okay, and I guess what it what it may, maybe what it indicates, maybe what it was supposed to indicate is not that she took the photos, but that she had handled and thereby seen the photos. She must know something. So she knows about the she knows that Annie is hanging out with this guy. Yeah, I just want to know how the fucking hair dye got on the photo. That's Because she's all, Ross, she's constantly doing electric blue dye jobs. Yeah, but there's no fingerprints. It's just like a strip of dye. Yeah. Like, you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah. we digress. Yeah. Um, Susan tells Navarro she used to give haircuts to the men at Salal Station. One time, and only one time, Annie went with her, and then Annie and Raymond Clark hit it off, and they talked all night, and she showed Raymond Clark her tattoo, and he was fixated on it. And Susan says that Annie dreamt the spiral tattoo when they were in high school, like dreamt it a bunch of times, and then she went and got the tattoo, and then the dreams stopped, mm-hmm. which was all very weird. 
Uh, and then Annie and Clark started hanging out all the time. Clark was crazy about Annie, but Annie didn't want anybody to know they were together, which she says was weird. Susan says, like, that was weird. Even she is like, I'm not quite sure why Annie Kay wanted to keep the Clark relationship such a secret. Mm-hmm. Which, if you tie that to, like, the, the last thing we see in this episode, which is Annie Kay in some fucking ice cave, like, being attacked. Mm-hmm. It does make you wonder if she was using Clark somehow to try to get to something else, was my working theory in this episode. Like, because why else, you know, why keep the relationship a secret? If anything, you would think Clark would want to keep it a secret because Annie Kay is the protesting troublemaker that she is, right? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, um, Susan says that she was also seeing a guy from Salal Station named Oliver Tagak. And he was the equipment manager, but he left right before Annie died. And Susan says he's probably out in the ice somewhere hunting, not looking to be found. So um, she also says that after they found Annie dead, she, in fact, did call the police Mm -hmm. anonymously and tell them about Clark and the relationship that Annie had with him. And guess what? The cop she talked to on the phone was Hank Pryor. And Hank Pryor buried it. Buried it. Buried it deep, buried it. So Navarro thinks because the mine was behind all this, that Hank buried it to cover for the mine mm-hmm. and is somehow entangled in that, yeah. you know, conspiracy. Yeah, if you missed our Patreon episode last week, by the way, we're well aware of the working theory that the water is poisoning everybody yeah. and making everybody hallucinate. And they definitely, boy, it really seemed like y'all like y'all just cracked it early and that that's where we're headed. I will, I will say. I'm still totally out on this. Totally out. Man, it's way too obvious. I, I mean, they are juicing it up in this episode. Yeah. Yeah, but what they, a what a fact, lame ending that and will the be. The fact that they still haven't said it. They're just like they, the possibility of it. Yes, they just keep showing you the black water and the childs are stillborn, the children are stillborn yeah. and like fucking Lund is popping up like a zombie with the voice of Dorian from the mask. Yeah, like, but that's still one person doing the bulk of the hallucinating here who has a family of mental health issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Anyway, Navarro says uh, Annie protests against the mine. Annie gets murdered. The police shush it all. Do the fucking math. And Danvers says, you do the math. Without the mine, there's no town. 50% of the population works for it, which means half of the people who live here had a reason to silence Annie Kay. And you can tell, like, Danvers Danvers doesn't want to, like, buy into the theory that this place is bad. Mm -hmm. Like, that Innes Mm -hmm. is bad. That the mining people would do that. Yeah. She doesn't want to, like, give it full credence, but um, you can see it kind of knocking around inside of her old noggin there. Yeah. Uh, also, um, I believe that there was some online conversation about this that I, I, I briefly saw, but it certainly flagged to me that uh, here in Night Country, when every single scene that we've seen to date is in the pitch black, them driving in the car is uh, light out. And what's uh, and so Issa that, Lopez did give some version of an explanation for that as well. Yeah, which um, is that. Go ahead. So appara- apparently, even during the long night, yeah, you get like a what is it called? Like a temporal something, it's like a twilight a, luminosity, a twilight near, luminosity near noon. around noon, where like the sun almost creeps up to the uh, past the horizon, and so there is like a little bit of like a glow, and you get like that 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 dusky twilight look. Yeah, which they did a decent job of 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 con- of showing of conveying. Um, my guess is that they had to is that we had a little House of the Dragon thing here where they're like, well, shit, we have to shoot these scenes, and it's full on bright daylight. <laughs> um, Fuck it, 
and then, we, we got a good excuse with yeah, this Twilight so luminosity. Yeah, so they just shot the scenes and then added a little filter to make it look more luminous. Not giving Issa the old benefit um, of the doubt here, huh? Um, I think she's full of biscuits. You do. <laughs> I just it. I, it no, I'm 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 giving the benefit of the doubt. I'm glad that they have the Twilight luminosity thing to fall back on. Otherwise, it's just like a terrible production design error. I honestly didn't even fucking notice, which yeah. is like maybe I was just so happy inside my brain that there was finally some light on the screen that uh, I just yeah, like was yeah. like I don't care for the reasoning. Uh, but yeah, she she tweeted at 3:02 a.m. because I guess a bunch of people were throwing this at her, and she just stays up all night like thinking about the mistake. Yeah, she I made. don't, Issa, like. Oh, God, you, the X is a bad place, man. You it is. You don't she need shouldn't to be, be on, on there. there. Don't... Get the fuck off of there. That's for us. That's for us. And even us, it's a problem. But... Like, you're never going to appease the, 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 the trolls there. Like, yeah. get, get out of there. She said to all of you asking, during the long night, every day, there's a period of twilight luminosity near noon when the sun approaches the horizon, but it never rises above, and soon the light is gone again. So that's what she's uh, using to write off. That one scene where they're suddenly driving in the car and it's not pitch black. Yeah. Okay. All right. There we yeah. go. Um, Explained. So Danvers points out that even if Navarro is right, like even if even if this is a whole like the mining company killed her or somebody in the mining company and it's a big cover up and that uh, Hank buried it, you know, what about her tongue popping up at Salal six years after she was murdered? What about the creepy boyfriend that they've uncovered here, Clark, who is now missing from the ice, right, and not one of the dudes in the corpsicle? And then what about the men in the corpsicle and the men on the island looned? And, like, what about all that, right? Yeah, yeah. And Navarro, of course, doesn't have answers for that. Um, also, Danvers is on Tinder, and she sets her radius to Fairbanks so that she doesn't fuck where she eats. <laughs> <laughs> Anymore, yeah. anyway. Um, then the conversation takes a serious turn. This is all like good fun. You're like, ah, oh, just two detectives going back and forth trying to solve a crime and also talking about Tinder. Mm-hmm. Funny, funny, ha ha. And then the conversation is like, Danvers starts making fun of Navarro for praying. And then Navarro's like, I don't pray. I listen. I, I don't talk to God. I listen. I listen. And Danvers is like, oh shit, that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, you ever get this feeling sometimes that you just want to disappear? Just walk out, never stop, just go. Just uh, go. Maybe that's what. Maybe that's the explanation for what the hell she keeps <laughs> walking out into the tundra on her own for, with nothing but a freaking petzl headlight. But Danvers, Danvers just sits there like, yeah. It was, anyway, that was just a really weird. Like the car ride tone switches so quickly from like tender and not fucking where you eat to mm-hmm. Navarro's deepest inner thoughts. But it also tied to like these two have spent a significant amount of time together, right? Yeah, they were yeah, partners. Yeah. And so it just gives you a little more insight into their dynamic here. Um, Quickly, today's episode is brought to you by you, or at least it could be, or should be, if you're subscribed on patreon.com slash oysters, clams, cockles. Every week during this six-episode run of Night Country, in addition to our public sponsor-based episodes like this one, Barrett and I record and release an additional ad-free premium episode available exclusively to our supporters on Patreon, driven by hotline calls from our listeners who call in with questions, theories and takes which we respond to on the show so on our public show here we cover what happens on each episode and discuss but then on patreon each week we dive deeper harder and further with insights from listeners as well it's just five dollars to officially join the clam fam on patreon and when you do so in addition to all of our ad-free bonus coverage of night country you'll gain access to hundreds of hours of exclusive content including our entire companion podcast for every episode of the sopranos friendly to first timers and rewatchers as well as our bonus coverage for Season 1 of House of the Dragon, Season 2 of The White Lotus, the final season of Succession, The Last of Us, Season 1 of Silo, and Season 2 of Foundation. 
plus a companion podcast for like 15 different classic movies in the form of our movie club on Patreon. So go today to patreon.com slash oysters, clams, cockles, and subscribe to support our show and receive so much more OCC in return. It's just $5 to join the clam fam. And if you want to go above and beyond and also gain access to our exclusive hotline number and our Discord server, it's $10 to join the Mollusk Militia tier. We appreciate all of you who are already on Patreon so much for making our show possible because sometimes, like today, we don't have sponsors, and I need to be able to keep this thing uh, running. And for those of you who aren't on Patreon yet, what are you waiting for? Go now. Patreon.com slash oysters, clams, cockles. Back at the corpsicle, Hank shows up and gives Peter a pair of ice skates for his son, Darwin. His four-year-old son, Darwin. Uh, because, you know, by the time Pete was four, he was pretty good skater, Barrett. Yeah. Little father-son bonding here. Yeah. Um, okay. Again. What... What what are we doing? Is this did they just need they just it, it this just felt like they needed a location for a scene. Like Peter and, just stays there with the yeah, corpse yeah, and watches yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I I just uh, again I was like, okay, why is Peter just hanging at the, out at the corpsicle? There's nothing for him to do just here. Just studying it. Just staring at it. And why would Hank go to the corpsicle? I, like I like it doesn't seem like the two, like two out of the seven police officers in Ennis would just be sitting there watching the corpsicle fall. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, like, I don't know. Wouldn't they put somebody else on that? I, I don't know. It just, I think he's, like, the lowest-ranking officer. So, so he's he, just, like, he just ba- does all babysitting the, the corpsicle. Well, but on the other hand, like, Danvers does send him to do different errands yeah. in this episode. So, like, my question was, when Peter goes to go do these errands that Danvers yeah. sets him off on, who's watching the corpsicle? Right. Is the right. corpsicle just sitting there in the ice rink? Like, some kid yeah. shows up for skating practice and is like, Jesus Christ! You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes. what, what the fuck? Yeah. And I'm with you, I'm with you. But also, like... I also don't need this level of what is that called like exposition or explanation yeah, you know yeah, what right, I mean right, like they right. they can't just give us an explanation for every little fucking thing I, No I know I know and 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 honestly like I'm having a hard time like truly articulating what it is it's not totally clicking for me about the season uh halfway through but 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 I but but something isn't and so then it makes me it pushes me into the like into the headspace where I'm like Looking really critically at everything. But yes, and also it's just like it, like like if everything was just had this flow to it, that then it's it's like it's like they're missing something that would, you know, subconsciously just like tell me why Peter has to be at the corpsicle here, and why Hank would also why Hank is also maybe coming in and out of the corpsicle rank. Yeah, you know what I mean. But well, in this in this scenario, it's just like cut to ice rank. And it's like Peter's just hanging out there. We don't know why. We don't know what he's doing. And yeah. then Hank also happens to show up at the ice rink. Well, that seems coincidental. Well, I mean, okay, so here's my explanation he's got the ice of this, with him. this particular scene. Peter is in charge of watching the corpsicle. Okay. Hank knows Peter is in charge of watching the corpsicle because okay. he is Peter's dad. Yep. Hank wants to get information out of Peter, so right. he shows up with his pair of ice skates. He's like, hey, these are for your kid. Look, I'm not such a bad guy. <laughs> now, would you mind telling me what Danvers is up to? He yeah. goes yeah. right from, the, he does not, like, give it even a buffer right. to make us think, like, he really was just being a good dad. No, he's there fishing for information. Right. And Everybody needs intel in this episode. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, like, Navarro storms in and basically accuses Hank of intentionally burying leads in the Annie K case. And Hank says Annie was sleeping with half of Innis, so he like throws the whole slut shaming thing yeah, on, on top bit, of it. Yeah. 
Classic Hank. And Danvers tells him to go resume his search and get rid of his hillbilly friends, or he's getting a negligence report for his mishandling of the Annie K case, and Hank responds by saying that he ought to file a report on her for playing Mrs. Robinson with his kid, so she knocks his like, is that coffee? I think it's coffee. Yep. Damn, that's a fucked up move. Yeah, Co- yeah. Coffee's... Generally it's hot. often hot. Very hot. You have to assume they're not drinking fucking cold brew. Oh, hot, hot, hot. In, hot, in a, hot, hot, hot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, P- Peter asks uh, who Mrs. Robinson is. Because I don't even remember what Randy Marsh is doing when he's saying. Hot, maybe hot, cooking? Hot, cooking, yeah, maybe. Cream fraise, <laughs> maybe? Fra- is it the cream fraise I don't, maybe, yeah. maybe. <laughs> but uh, remember, Peter's Gen Z, so he doesn't know who Mrs. Robinson is. He doesn't get that reference. No. He's never mm-hmm. never watched that movie with old yeah. fucking uh, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Um, Ever heard of a cougar, huh? I did have a question. Pete I guess not. I, I did have a question about this situation. Like, it does seem like it should be a bigger deal to Danvers, this whole Hank thing. There's some more history to her and Hank that we have yet to uncover that is, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming, causing a lot of this awkward interaction. Because, yes, it is really fucking weird that she's just letting him run around with vigilante hillbillies as part of the search team. And the only thing she says to him about this is like, you cut it out with those hillbillies. <laughs> Get him out of here. You'd be like, dude, you're putting us in a situation where you're going to destroy the whole case, yeah. put the whole department in jeopardy. There's going to be like a federal overhaul oversight situation soon. If you don't start, you can't just use random hillbillies as part of the surge team. Yeah. I'm getting the sense though. Like, have you noticed how, uh, they are like, like in some of the flashbacks and then even now people are either wearing something that says, um, APF. Yeah. Like the right. Like, so they're, they're, they are the Alaska police force. Like you see some trucks and stuff that say Ennis police, but like the way that Danvers was able to be transferred to Ennis as right. the chief, yeah, yeah. and like they're wearing the a- the APF stuff, like so I think just Alaska might just have like one big police force. It's not like HPD versus APD in Texas, right? You know, like very split, very siloed. Yeah, police different forces. cities have their own they're, departments. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also it's Alaska, so yeah, I'm not sure how much oversight, federal or otherwise, there is at all. And so I, I I don't know like Hank just showing up with a bunch of dudes in camo and trucks uh, just being just, like we're going to hunt this human <laughs> who we don't even know has done anything wrong yet I was just like yeah okay yeah no I'm I'm with you I just when we got to this scene I was like oh Danvers is gonna tear him a new one but yeah. all, she's just but like, she doesn't she's she, like she, you get the fuck out of here do your job do your job and I was just like damn and then I had the reaction of Arlo did I was like that's fucking it that's yeah. it dude you're not gonna come on yeah she slaps him on the wrist wrist yeah uh, and then I love this. So they can't get the forensic expert in because, like, the flight couldn't make it or something. I don't know. Maybe it's more difficult to travel during night country when there's no light. Um, But the alternative is that Peter suggests they bring in his cousin, the vet, a veterinary doctor who works with large animals. And I swear to God, watching this, I was like, to do what? (laughs) Yeah. What the fuck is a vet going to do with the... Are they talking about for the corpsicle? He's going to come in and analyze? Why would a vet have any... This was all so strange. They they can't get the forensic tech. He can't make it. But then the vet comes and basically does, like, post-mortem stuff. You're telling me that, like, Ennis and nowhere in the vicinity has, like... A, a has human a, doctor? Has, has a... Has a, has a uh, uh, like, a, a, like a mortician or like what what am, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I mean I know what you're trying. To, I whatever that is. They, so dealing looking, with dead bodies. They're people. looking for the forensic tech, but what they need is a guy to like that can do like an autopsy. Yeah, basically. 
Yeah, but then but this is the only connection they've got is is Pete's, one one vet. Pete's cousin, the vet. Yeah, I, I, I again, it's fine, it's fine. Ennis is a remote place in the Arctic Circle, and yeah. I and I get they just don't have that guy. I, I they do not have that guy. I just couldn't believe this was the closest fucking thing. If you wanna, if you want an autopsy. You know where you gotta go. You got you gotta go to Anchorage, man. Yeah. You gotta get it. You gotta get Anchorage. Involved. Anchorage has all the good shit. That's where all the stuff is. So Navarro goes out to Kavik's ice fishing hunt hut, Barrett, and this is when I noticed Kavik's ice fishing hut is the last thing we see in the intro sequence of this show mm. during the Billie Eilish song. Okay, and it really fucking lingers. And it's I know it's it has a distinct red trim on the right, roof. Right. Yeah. 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 It looks kind of Christmassy. Which. During the intro sequence, I was like, I wonder why they keep showing us that. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, maybe that's where this whole thing ends, is what I had in my mind. Yeah. And then she goes out there in this episode to visit Kavik, and I was like, oh, shit. And I think it was on Patreon last week I had brought up, like, I really don't feel good about Kavik. Yeah, yeah. We, because he's, he's, the, one he's of the in two, the danger zone, yeah. He's yeah. one of the two, like, pure good guys, him yep. and Pete. Yeah. Yeah. And that I, th- I thought there was a chance that like he might actually swing bad, and this really made me feel like, oh my god, Kavik is going to be like in a bad way involved in this yeah. somehow, yeah. Yeah. because if his house is the last, his little ice fishing hut is the last thing they show. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just something to keep a pen in because there has to be something there. Okay. Uh, but Navarro asks Kavik about this Oliver Tagak guy, the equipment manager of Salal, who left right before Annie's death, and Kavik says he'll ask around about Oliver if. Navarro will share personal information about herself with him. So I guess the 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 uh, thing to presume here is that she doesn't really open up when she's power riding him. It's just pure. He wants more than a physical relationship. Yes, for us. that's that's, <laughs> that's correct. He just Barry. wants her to open up a little bit. You know, just, tell me a little bit about yourself. Let me get let me get to know you. So Navarro storms off, and then she comes back. And if you thought she was going to share some like happy go lucky shit well, about her he life, say, tell me about your mom or something like that. Uh, yeah, I think he pretty directly asks yeah, yeah. about, like, her. Right. And she drops the incredibly depressing backstory about her mom meeting her dad in Boston, her dad being a bad and abusive man, and them taking... Her mom runs off, takes the kids back to Alaska with her, but her mom was not okay. Mm-hmm. She's like Jules, the sister. Voices in her head, episodes. Then one day she went out, never came back. She was killed. Mm-hmm. The fucker was never found. So... And she never told Navarro her... Uh, Inupiaq name. Right. You know, which is a real bummer. Kavik agrees to ask around about Oliver in exchange for that story and gets a little insight into who Annie is, which kind of throws my theory of, like, this guy's bad somehow. Because, like, why is he trying to get to know her, you know? Yeah, no, this was even... They, th- this felt to me, like, more... Even going even harder in the other direction. It's like, good look, guy that's look, how get... guy that, look how good this guy is. He just... All he wants to do is, like, know a little bit about this, yeah. this woman that he likes... Accidentally puts his foot in his mouth because he asks about the wrong thing, which is this depressing story, and he opens up the bo- the you know the wound a little bit. He was like, "Fuck!" And uh, but he's just you know he's got such good intentions. Yeah. Like, yeah, this dude's toast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's gonna die. Uh, Leah Danvers, the daughter of of Chief Danvers, stepdaughter. Th- yes, sorry, stepdaughter goes to a local anti mining meeting with her girlfriend. And the leader of the meeting announces, like, after they get into, like, a rousing, like, we were here before, chant. Mm-hmm. They get into the announcement that this couple lost their baby boy this morning. And he says specifically, another stillborn. Mm-hmm. Um, and asks for a minute of silence. But it would appear there's either that couple had had multiple stillborns or there are multiple stillborns that have happened recently in the community. Yep. Yep. And they are blaming the mine for this, the poison water. Yeah, and you'll note the black ink 
kind of smeared across uh, a lot of the the attendees' mouths, which is the same that we saw in Annie makeup K. Makeup that Annie K has on. Um, yeah, the same decoration that Annie K has on uh, in the the like the the death like her photos like the crime. One, scene at least photos. I, th- I thought that was a mugshot from a time she'd gotten arrested that they keep showing of her like with her eyes open and that stuff smeared across her face. Mm. And that's like her. You I know, feel like there's like a, her dead face photo is maybe is also m- maybe it's both, but but I feel like the sh- the photo that they keep looking at is her her. And I don't even know if that's in like uh, tribute to Annie Kay or that's just one of the traditional Inupiaq like ways they do their face. No, I think this lines. is I think this is part of the protest. It's specifically about her because I think they're like they're like it, it, what it it's probably like it's supposed to like be like from the mine and it's like they're spreading it across their mouths to like indicate you know that they won't be silenced or or right. that, or that the mine is trying to silence them or or something like that is is the is the way that I've read it okay uh, but I could be wrong well regardless yeah. it's definitely something we see in this scene um oh also just like a weird connection here between they bring up the stillborn situation the water in the mines but also you have to remember we started this episode with Annie K delivering what appeared to be a stillborn baby, mm-hmm. but then was actually revived. Anyway, Danvers yells at Leah um, when Leah is sneaking back into her meet from her meeting with with quote those people who are vandalizing the mines. So it sounds like this is like a very known group mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was meeting there that is protesting this whole situation that Annie Kay was probably a part of. To back your theory, Barrett. Yep. Um, and Leah tells her mom about the stillbirth. Danvers, in that moment, seems like she is like now giving credence to there being something wrong with the water in the mining mm-hmm. situation, but she hasn't had that moment with the water yet where she's washing her hands. Right. Um, she makes Leah wipe away the temporary, you know, tattoo off of her chin regardless. And then we bounce from there to Navarro back out on the ice. And I, I, I would, I'd throw in that, that, uh, you know, the, the, I think the reaction that we're supposed to have to Danvers being so callous to, to Leah, who is trying to connect with her heritage and her roots you know, and that obviously comes off as like really intense and kind of abrasive and uh, at least a little bit, you know, like xenophobic or racist, right? That she is so- or at least not sympathetic. Not yeah. sympathetic that she is so anti uh, the the markings on her face. But I also think that we're, uh, that, 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 that we're also supposed to see a little bit of, of what Danvers is trying to do, which is protect her daughter. The boomer side of it, yeah. The boomer side of it, which is like- these things that you're doing got Annie Kay brutally murdered. Absolutely, you know, and so that that that's what I'm probably going about it in the wrong way. No, no, no. I think you're correct. But, you're supposed to see that angle here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just kind of like putting the words in, in Danvers' mouth there that like she's approaching this in the wrong way. But this is, I think, also coming from a, a motherly place of like protection. Yeah. Like this, the, you're you're walking down a dangerous road here, even if it's the right one. And as a mother. Uh, that like she's trying to protect Leah, and I think the more yeah. complicated the situation gets, yeah. the water, the stillbirths, her going to these meetings, Danvers actively working this case that yeah. keeps getting weirder and weirder. The more I keep using this word, but like credence is given to her concern, mm-hmm. like the fact that she is worried about her daughter's involvement or her daughter getting into this like yeah. side of the community scares her for a reason, right? Even if it's not justifiable, it is. You can see it, especially yep. you know as a parent or whatever. Um, so next word, Navarro, she's she's back out on the ice. She hears an extra creepy rendition of Twist and Shout. It's like a, a remix by Ghosts. <laughs> and then she sees a giggling child running on the ice, goes to chase it, slips. Was it a child? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, again, you got to go subbies here. Giggling child. Uh. You're like, oh, well, it's a kid. But totally just a person. You see a person. It looked like a man. Yeah. Um, knocks herself out. And then she has a ice. weird vision here. Okay. She like comes to in like a desert setting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the opposite of an ice setting, right? Yes. And there's maybe like a flipped over trailer or something behind her. And someone telling her to listen, and then a small child carrying a one-eyed polar bear stuffed animal approaches her and says, tell my mommy, but then it drone it like, you know, trails okay. off before we can hear what this child told her to tell. Danvers' son that she lost, right? I, so I think I, I was right here. Yeah, I think this was confirmation that the child that we see in the flashback when Twist and Shout is also playing... And they have the polar bear, and they're playing with the polar bear. That is a that 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 I believe is a child of Danvers that is no longer with us. And I think it was you know communicating through Navarro here. Yes, yes. Uh, which you have to. I'm you. I I'd be pretty fucking surprised if we don't at some point see Navarro relaying whatever that kid said to Danvers directly. Right. right. Uh, so Navarro wakes back up on the ice, comes to, and she gets a call from a man named Kenny Hogan, who is covering for Kavik. This was strange. Because they were very specific. He's like, hey, it's Kenny Hogan. I'm covering for Kavik. Like, like that was supposed to mean something to us. But okay. he tells her that her sister had an episode. Yep. I guess he's like working the bar. Maybe, yeah. And the girl was like screaming that someone was coming. And then she started praying. Navarro has to go and find Julia, her sister, as a result. Mm-hmm. And she finds her at like some spot that she knew to look for her. I couldn't really tell what that spot was. It's like a capsized ship wreck maybe but yeah. on the ice yes because they're like out on the ice I and think. it's like frozen in there solid yeah, and they're yeah. just like ah oh, fuck it leave it yeah um in the permafrost or whatever right so julia tells her like hey i'm i'm having a really fucking bad time that's what she's like i think bad stuff i'm yeah i'm yeah. losing it here is what she communicates to her sister uh from there peter and his wife get into a fight because he wakes up in the middle of the night and like knocks a bunch of shit off their dresser and then that wakes up their kid yeah and she's like, fuck it, it's 5 a.m., I've got a test at 7, I might as well start studying. And he's like, it's just one case, honey. This, I'll wrap this case up and my career will be on the fast track and I'll never have to work this hard again. Yeah. And she says that Danvers will still be calling day and night and yeah. he'll go running to her every time, which again just kind of gives a little more steam to like the what's going to happen with Danvers and Peter thing for me. I am not, I have zero. You're not on board with this? I'm not, no, zero stock I think Danvers is going to power fuck Pete. (laughs) (laughs) I think Danvers is just a terrible boss, uh, way too demanding of a a boss. Oh, I think that's, that's definitely the other side of it, right? Like, cause he gets a call in the middle of them arguing about this from Danvers. Yeah. Misses the call, immediately gets a follow-up text in all all caps. caps. Did you find Oliver Tagak? So I think it's trying to show like, Exactly what you're saying. How toxic of a work environment this dude is in, right? But how toxic it can be being an investigator like this in general. Yes. Like what that type of job takes out of you and demands and like your personal life when you're a cop and you have to give everything to a case, especially when your boss is pressuring you to stay on the clock all the fucking time, right? Um, Next, it is December 23rd. So we have switched. I love that they're giving it because remember we were complaining earlier in the season, like how are we going to know when one day to the next... They let us know, like, and that day ended. It's December yeah. 23rd, the sixth day of night, two days before Christmas. It's almost Christmas. And uh, imagine having to attempt to experience the joy of Christmas in, I, I, in these circumstances. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that it's going to be a, a cheerful holiday season. You don't think they have carolers in Ennis? <laughs> um, so Danvers walks into—I'm not entirely sure. 
but there's a bunch of Inupiaq women in there, like, doing their thing. And Danvers kind of has, like, almost like an anxiety attack and retreats to a bathroom. I'm not, I just couldn't tell where this was. She's gone to pay her respects to the okay. family of, that had the stillborn oh, baby. Oh, okay. Got you. So this is like a wake type of situation yes. in here. Yes. Yeah. But she walks in. She can't handle it. Yeah. Goes to the bathroom, and that's where she turns on the faucet, and it's like black black water. water. Yeah. Looks, I mean, it's this isn't like a you wouldn't notice type of situation with mm-hmm. the water. It's like a you would turn the faucet and go, God damn it, like yeah. fucking yeah. mine. So it's really coming, and like for her now, she's starting to grasp, like, okay, something really bad is happening here. Yeah. Um, then Peter's cousin Vince, the vet, his name is Vince, the vet, <laughs> uh, tells Danvers he thinks the corpsical scientists died before they froze. He says, when you freeze to death, and I had heard this before, like it's a relatively peaceful death, you basically fall asleep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that these dudes don't look peaceful. This is not how you die in the cold. You would not be like, like doing the full-blown right, screaming, right, right. like, oh my God, get away thing. Um, he says he's seen caribou die of plain fright. You'll remember, yeah. what are caribou? Yeah. They're reindeer. They're reindeer. And we saw a bunch of them commit sue at the first of the episode yeah. first episode, right? And it's almost Christmas. It, it yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Rudolph will show. <laughs> yeah. um, but these uh these scientists <laughs> <laughs> Santa lost the entire fleet, man. I don't know what he's gonna do. <laughs> to, to to Vince the vet Okay, this episode's getting outrageous. To Vince the vet, the caribou that he has seen die of plain fright look exactly like these guys yeah. <laughs> that are frozen in yeah, the ice. Yeah, yeah. I just, you would be, I like, I don't know that a detective would be like, ah, <laughs> good info yeah. from this fucking vet. But she is like, hell yeah, Vince. Hey, would you mind doing the postmortem right here? And he's like, what? She's like, oh, I'm just fucking with you, Vince. That'd be highly illegal. Just the whole. You know how a lot of like true crime shit we see the case falls apart because they mishandle evidence or uh-huh, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This case, no <laughs> one is ever going to be tried. There is there, like maybe Hank is right. They just need to go out there and shoot this fucking guy. Yeah. Because the trial will be a just a disaster. Yeah. A disaster for the DA and the. Who, yeah, I feel like already like these decomposing bodies just like that are no longer in the ice, just <laughs> sitting here. Just fucking nobody's melting. watching them except for Pete. Like, good lord! Like their vets contaminating the evidence oh, now. It's like, a mess. It's a real mess in I, here. I don't know what they're gonna do. Yeah. So after Vince the vet leaves, Danvers seems resigned to the fact that like, all right, Anchorage is gonna have to come take this corpsicle, and then yep. we'll see what they give us from their, you know, looking into it. Yeah. Navarro comes in and she, she found Oliver Tagak. He's living in a nomad camp on the North Shore. So Danvers and Navarro go to visit Oliver, uh, the man that Susan the Hair Lady said was seeing, uh, that she was seeing when Annie Kay was seeing Raymond Clark. Danvers breaks into Tagak's place where he is just waiting, sitting in a chair with a shotgun. And he is super hostile and not at all stoked about them trespassing, uh, rightfully so. But you get the feeling that this community out here is like, basically, these are the people that are so fed up with what's happening in Ennis that they've moved out onto the ice. Mm-hmm. They're doing the nomad old school life, yep. and they do not want anything to do with these fuckers. Because yeah, off the grid. Off the grid, but yep. also like um, not embracing, you know, industrial society. When the mm-hmm. truck mm-hmm. drives out there, they made a very clear point to let you know how loud that vehicle is right. entering this camp. Right. Yep. Like they don't have noise like that out there. Truck is loud as shit. So uh, they tell him, like, hey, all your ex-colleagues at Salal are dead. He specifically asks about Lund. 
He's like, Lund is dead. Like, doesn't ask about any of the other scientists, just the dude who survived. Mm-hmm. And then he freaks out and kicks them out of the house on, at gunpoint and says, like, don't come back. Um, and on their way out, they Danvers and Navarro get a call from the hospital about Lund being awake. But he lost his eyesight. He's had multiple amputations, so he can't see. He's really not doing well, mm-hmm. is, is the point to take away from here. Um, Danvers goes and visits him anyway. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that they would let her question him in the state. He's like not. He's like screaming down the hall as she's approaching. Yeah, yeah. The nurse uh, is like, just try to be quick. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, they're going to let her go in there like while he's like this? Yeah, yeah. But she asks him what happened that night on the ice, and it goes about how you would expect. Yeah, he he yeah. says... We woke her, and now she's out there in the ice. She came for us in the dark, and then starts screaming bloody murder again, yeah. and a nurse sedates him. Yeah. Uh, then, very coincidentally— he got the White Walker makeup on, by the he way. He does, yeah. yeah. The eyes. The, the eyes, the whole—yeah. But a fight breaks out in the lobby of the hospital where some hunters are like—the hillbillies are just going at it out there. Who the yeah, fuck what, what, what happened? Fighting over some shit, dude. Like it's like the bar fight we saw that yeah, broke out. Yeah, I think just constantly in Ennis, people are just bu- busting out into fisticuffs. Just fuck you in the mine and yeah, fuck you yeah, in the yeah. hunters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Danvers has to Throwing go break hands. up this fight, and Navarro has to stay and watch Lund, mm-hmm. and she then sees. Well, I guess behind her, we see him sit straight up in bed. And she turns around and, like, with a weird, like, pirate voice almost, he's like, hello, Evangeline. <laughs> Your mother says hello. Arr. She's waiting for you. And then he, like, convulses, uh, uh, flatlines, and dies. Yeah. Like, I think, again, like the polar bear, we're supposed to assume this didn't happen. That she, <sighs> right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because we had one of our buddies really bump up against this scene, too. He's like, if you show us something on screen... That to us means it took place. And I don't agree with what he's saying because of the way the rest of the season has unfolded so far. Like, I, my assumption at this point is that Navarro has the exact same issue as her sister, or a version of it, well, well, of her sister I, and her I, mother. I feel like he mistyped some words because wasn't what he was saying that Navarro, like, because Navarro has her back to Lund when he sits up, that we don't have her POV, basically. Right. So that, so that should suggest that it did, did happen. happen. I mean... If you want to get right? into like really, you know, pulling hairs here, or whatever, splitting hairs. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that. I mean, it's an interesting question. It's an interesting conversation about like directing and POV and like for sure the general like, I get cinematography absolutely. of something. Right? Totally understand the point. Yeah, um, but but it it's not something that I had had necessarily like thought thought about when the scene happened. I, yeah, I definitely like like if I'm just placing the bet on the roulette table, right, or like. Nah, this didn't happen because no, this is not. this is insane, right? Like this is we're either going there or we're not, and I don't think we are. Well, I mean, the question becomes: Is there some sort of in between, a weird spiritual in between? Mm-hmm. And does Navarro have some ability to connect with the dead or near deceased? Right. Or is she in fact mentally unwell? Like, what what is the line that uh, whatever that lady? She, yeah, yeah. She delivers yeah. to her: Don't mistake the spirit world for mental illness. Right. Right. Connection, and, like connection with the spirit world or something like that with mental illness. The yeah. differentiation there is obviously very difficult to yep. make. And for people who believe in the spirit world and the ability to make that kind mm-hmm. of connection, to to determine whether or not you've had a hallucination or something, you know, different that actually occurred, is problematic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're supposed to be experiencing here with Navarro. 
all in all, this was creepy as shit. It was like a you know a little horror scene. Uh, super horror. Yeah. Very very uh, straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. This was this was crazy. So they and it doesn't get better because they walk out of there immediately get Peter running up to them saying like, hey, I. I'd used my Gen C Z hacker skills and got up in mm-hmm, any case mm-hmm. phone and immediately found this fucking video. Shows Danvers and Navarro a video that she filmed of herself. And at first I was like, where the fuck, where is she? Like, what it's is this backdrop? But yeah. it's like some kind of ice cave. And she's saying, I found it. My name is Annie Kautak. If anything happens to me, please. And then she gets attacked, the phone drops, and you can hear her screaming for like 30 seconds in the mm-hmm. background where she was clearly murdered and stabbed 30-plus yeah. times or whatever. So if we do the whole Danvers thing to ask the question, it's like, what did Annie Kay find? Because she says, I found it. Yeah, That's yeah. going to be one of the things they're looking into, right? What was she looking for? Why did she want to keep her and Clark's relationship a secret? And then what does Lund think they woke up on the ice yeah. that is out there living in the ice. So we're really presented with more questions yep. this episode and than answers. the same thing that's inside the cave that Annie sees? For sure, yeah. yeah. And based on our conversations before, and we'll obviously get more into this on Patreon later this week, we don't believe this show is going to go full sci-fi. Right. This doesn't end in episode six with them being like, we found an ice alien yeah. or a monster that's been unleashed. Like, we think there are going to be very human explanations for everything that occurs. So you yep. kind of have to take all this creepy shit in between with that in mind. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like that there are misleading, we're being misled intentionally, try to hold on to the grip of reality. Yeah. And, and think about what actually happened. It, if there is some type of seam that has split in the center of the earth revealing massive kaiju, I, it doesn't seem like we're in the universe that has the right technology <laughs> to deal with to, that. To build Jaegers to fight them, you know what I mean? No, that as would be in, as in Guillermo del Toro's sci-fi epic Pacific Rim and Pacific Rim Uprising, the sequel. So that that's a, that's, that's the problem. That's the problem for yeah. me. That's what I, I also no. bumped on that is that I just I hadn't you thought know, of it that way. Jaeger technology doesn't seem like it's it's close to existing. In right. which case, there's no real way to solve this. Uh, you know, it'll just, be the end of the end of time. It's just kaiju's coming up from the you know from the ice caves. Who fights them? Becomes <laughs> the question. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Not Annie Kay. We saw Not what happened that, to her. Yeah. So, no. Um, yeah, it's funny because like we 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 start getting into the into all the sci-fi stuff, or well, into all the 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 creepy stuff. I'll say all the the horror, like ooh, what's that? The mystery, the screaming, the ice cave, the guy with the blue eyes, creepily sitting up and pointing and all doing the weird pirate. Yar. Dorian from the mask voice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and it kind like it on it like. It's it kind of like like did energize me at the end of the episode, so even though it, it almost felt like a crutch to, that they fell back on that to like, oh we got to finish this episode off with a bang so boom here we go here's two here's some crazy here's shit. two crazy shit yeah two, two things that are crazy as shit yeah to like send you off into the cliffhanger, and but then I then I could then I realized what they had done there to me and I was like okay well what about the rest of the episode you felt used and I yeah. felt a little used yeah okay. So and 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 once again, I, I there's like four times I'm, I'm saying this, so I apologize. But like at the end of the episode, Laura was like, "It doesn't seem like they're telling a story. It doesn't seem like they're telling the story or getting any further," which is also what some friends echoed uh, on, on our text chain. And like, I, I I guess that's that's maybe part of it, but there's something more that is ju- that 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 I. I 
the, what I keep coming back to is what I had, what I said in, after the first episode, which is this, just that like, I don't know, there's the, the flow is off to me somehow. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hearing a lot of complaints about pacing. It sounds it, like it might be. Uh, yeah. People are like, we're we're just it's like, I which I don't agree. Like, if you go watch episode one, I was like, oh shit, pacing is going to be a problem. Yeah. I thought pacing was going to be a massive issue. Season two jumped us way ahead. We're like, suddenly, oh my god, here's Raymond Clark's trailer. We already have a main suspect. This dude disappeared. Look, the thing thawed out, and mm-hmm. he's not in there. Holy shit. In this one, I thought we took it even further. Like now they found this other guy yeah. that was out there with Clark that is now living off the fucking grid with these nomads and, yep. like, doesn't want to be spoken to. They've gotten into Annie Kay's cell phone. They fa- So, like, I think it's going step-by-step step, moving us along enough each week. I just don't know if people are vibing with the pace because, for, yeah. for me, from a case-solving standpoint, like, here, here's my issue. If you're going to pick this apart like that, go watch season one again. Mm-hmm. You could do the exact same thing. You'll go multiple episodes where literally fucking well, nothing happens regarding the case. So, two, so two things. One, uh, that that that's kind of what, I'm, what that that's why I'm trying to figure out what it is that 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 I personally am feeling because yeah. I also am not necessarily sure that it's it's the that it's the storytelling that it's the pace of the story or how much information they've doled out yet that I'm bumping on. I don't think that's it because it now part of what you're saying is that so far through three episodes. This does feel more like a 10-episode season to me, or eight or nine, right? Like, it does seem like they still have quite a bit to tell us with only three episodes left. I mean, arguably. Sort of? I I don't... Personally, I've now gotten to the point where I'm like, okay, I see what they're doing. Okay. The way they're setting the table up, to me, feels like a very, very confident delivery of a clear-cut six-episode situation where the sixth episode is going to take all this shit and smash it together, and it's going to be glorious. Now... I could be totally wrong, in which case a lot of these complaints about the pacing will be very validated in my mind. But for me, like this one, I had no issue with at all. Like I was freaked the fuck out for the majority of it. This is not an upper of a TV show. It was (laughs) depressing for sure. Yeah. True Detective has kind of always been that too, though. I, I do. I can hear people countering what I'm saying with like, yes, but this isn't season one. We are not looking at McConaughey and Woody Harrelson yeah. in one of the most masterful performances in the history of TV. Totally on board with that. Understand if you don't vibe with Danvers and Navarro the same way that you did with them. That is not really an issue for me yet, though. I'm also doing this podcast, so I know yeah, like yeah. we kind of have to wait till the end to see if the means justify everything. I'm, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw out one more thing here. Yeah. That 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 is is has been percolating in my mind a little bit about a potential cause for some of this that I think would tie to everything, story pacing, place like all of it. Yeah, the night country part of this is really hard because every single scene and every single hour of the story looks and feels the same. Right, and so I I think there is a there there is a sense of like like redundancy and sameness and like and and monotony because because there's no change in day night location like 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 it's all it's all the same it just feels it's, like the same scene going yes, on and on it's and on ice and it's darkness at every turn and that makes it really hard to like give you like like to to take you down a path like it feels like you're just kind of like walking in a small circle yeah you really have to wrap your head around that you part see, you of know it what I mean? no, I'm, I'm with you and that's what explains so like that, your that, your that, frustration that, when they cut to the ice rink you're just like what the fuck so that 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 is that's a definitely another potential piece of it is that you like you're losing like this your your, your subconscious or innate kind of sense of like 
the timing and the, the ebbs and the flows of, of the investigation in the case in the days, because all of this feels like it's literally happening like in one single moment almost. Yeah. So that, that, that's, that's another piece of it that I think is maybe screwing, maybe factoring into what I'm feeling. Yeah. No, I mean, and I think that's in part intentional. I don't know if they expected it would negatively impact people's ability to enjoy the show. Yeah. But the setting and everything going on with this night country situation, you're in night country now, is very much supposed to disorient you. It is supposed mm-hmm. to make you feel that sense of disorientation that these people in the, in the setting are yep. dealing with. Um, one last thing that I'll say before we, we cut for the week to wait till later to discuss further on Patreon. I am a little bit worried based on, I think it's in the like next week on True Detective or this season on True Detective, and you hear somebody say... Welcome to Night Country. Welcome to no, Night no, Country. You're in Night Country now. You're in Night yeah. Country. And I was like, okay, yeah. they just They said the name of the show out loud. Yeah. Well, not that. They just took the you're in Carcosa now, take off your mask thing uh. and changed if if you're if you're gonna do all this referencing to season one and then you're gonna directly steal lines from it, mm. that's a little mm. bit it's pushing the envelope for me into a place Who I'm says not. says you're in Carcosa now? Um the bat, the big bad. Okay. The 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 dude. The last episode, dude. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, he says, like, calls him little priest and tells him to take. Anyway, the point is that line: "You're in Carcosa now. Mm. You're in Night Country now, or whatever." Like, those are. It's like. There's a difference between referential and just like dick riding. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm, like, mm, if mm, you mm, you mm. can't create your own vibe, so you're going after the vibe of uh, a pre-existing vibe that was. Yeah. Inarguably a fantastic vibe, the thi- but you okay. can't just go and bite. But for for a casual such as myself that has not just recently rewatched season one, yeah, I wouldn't have picked that up. Yeah, yeah. Well, you should be servicing the diehards like <laughs> me more than the casuals <laughs> like you, right? <laughs> anyway, Barrett and I will be back later this yeah. week on Patreon.com/slash Oysters Clams Cockles with further discussion and digestion, driven by hotline calls from the Mollusk Militia, supporting us there on patreon.com/slash Oysters Clams Cockles. Get on there, support the show; it means a lot. Thank you. Also, support our sponsors when we have them. That goes a long way to ensuring we continue to have sponsors. Uh, for more from me, Ross Bolin, listen to the Ross Bolin podcast wherever podcasts are played. Or watch on YouTube.com slash at the Ross Boland Podcast. Mr. Dudley, where can the good people follow you to keep up with all that you do? Check me out on uh, the Instagrams. At Check him out. At, at Barrett Dudley. Check him out. At B-A-R-R-E-T-T Dudley on the Instagrams specifically. Yeah. get all, You can send it to my Instagrams. I'm at W.R. Boland. You can send it to me on my <laughs> Instagrams as well. Also on X, formerly known as Twitter, at W.R. Boland. Go to BolandMedia.com slash merch. I'm sorry, slash shop. To grab yourself some merch, bowlingmedia.com slash shop. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And until we, we meet again, ask the question. <laughs> <laughs>